Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello to Roger fans. Welcome to episode number 321 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 20th, 2014. Yes, it's a Tuesday. We normally do the show on a Monday. I was on vacation out in Arizona hiking the Grand Canyon, so I apologize. I was not able to do the show yesterday, but nice enough to have Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde come on the show on a Tuesday, so thanks to them. Well, Dan coming up later on, Coach Harvey Hyde coming up just here in a second. Want to let you know if you have questions or comments. We got a lot today. We want to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. 206 888 6755 is the voicemail number. Or you can go to parastylepodcast.com, leave a vo- brief voicemail right there, and we'll play it on the air. All right, well, let's bring in the coach, Harvey Hyde. What's going on, coach? How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Glad, glad to be back. I was on another one of those, uh, you know, secret assignments. So uh, I want to apologize for not being with you guys last week, but I'm looking forward to getting back here and doing the podcast with you and Dan and and getting going. Yeah, let's do it. And I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website. Or call them at 1-800-888-7287. Still got some Kings games. No more Clippers games, unfortunately. But Dodgers, Angels, lots of stuff going on here in Southern California and across the country. So check them out. There And if you want to follow Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter, it's at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow me on Twitter at Inside Troy. If you want to tweet us some questions, you can do that as well. But, Coach, there's uh, some interesting drama was going on before I left for uh, my trip to uh, Arizona to, to hike in the Grand Canyon, which I had a blast on. But there was some big news, and I wanted to – play uh well i'll start off with the one of the uh, written questions we have a voicemail question to kind of get to as well uh but it's about ty isaac and uh there's there's two questions i wanted to read to you peter in san francisco he said i was sad to hear about ty isaac transferring hopefully his family health issues have have a good outcome i thought that he had a bright future at usc we need a big bruising back like isaac to complement the smaller quicker backs and he wants to know how do you think Isaac's transfer would affect the running game? And are we too thin at the running posi- running back position too? And then, Ron, I want to just kind of lump this in, and I'll get your, your full thoughts on it, Coach, so I apologize for that. Ron says, I'm sorry to see Ty Isaac go as well. To me, this was an Eric Dickerson clone, but I wish him and his family well in the future. My question is, where do you see him going? See, he wants to be close to home. The University of Illinois, maybe Michigan, hopefully not Ohio State. So give your thoughts there coach on, on what you thought he was as a running back where you think he might go uh, and how it's going to affect the USC running game well uh, let's uh, start by saying first of all I, I think Ty Isaac came to USC and was a little bit intimidated um, didn't start fast didn't have a good fall uh, as far as competing for a starting position but ended up at the end of the year uh, showing that he was a pretty good football player in fact a bruiser I can remember him running over backs uh, uh, in the, I think it was the Arizona game, really, really maturing, coming along fine. 
big, strong running back that USC. Uh, I think uh, would have wanted to keep. Uh, didn't get many turns in the spring. Now, you were at spring. He was hurt a little bit, but in the spring game, got very few carries until the end of the game. And I think kids want to play. Kids want to play, and he looks at who's the running backs and who's there, and he says, now, if I'm going to make a move, I'm going to make my move now. If he has, if he's unfortunate to have uh, someone that's not well in his family, then, you know, I can understand him wanting to be back home. He's a long ways from home. You, you couple that up with also uh, not playing much and looking at what the future is going to be like at, at USC. In the spring, you saw uh, nothing but a one-back set. Uh, I kept talking about getting these kids in the game. I know they didn't have a lot of healthy backs in the spring, but talked to them about or run some of two-back sets with these great backs and, and be able to have some type of series to give them encouragement that there's going to be more than one back playing. Well, that didn't happen. He didn't get a lot of turns in the spring. He probably got discouraged and uh, decided to make that that uh, transfer. Where he's going to go to, uh, first of all, I'm sad to see him leave. I think he had great potential. I think he's a Division One college football player. Uh, if he's if he's sincere about being close to home, we're back there. You know, Michigan, Illinois, Chicago. Ohio, they're all around the same area. Uh, he'll probably go to the best school where he thinks he has a chance to play and win and uh, go to a bowl game and, of course, think about his professional career. Illinois currently right now is not one of those prime teams that may have a need for him. I'd evaluate Ohio, what Ohio State has or what Michigan has. And I think both universities or all three universities plus other universities will take him. Now, Will will he petition the NCAA and and see if he could become immediately eligible? He probably will if he has a sincere uh, medical problem. I don't know his home life or what that situation is, but I think he's a player. I'm sorry he's leaving. Uh, I don't think he really you know felt he was going to get an opportunity at USC and uh, left because of that. Um, coach, for as far as Ty Isaac goes, and some people said, you know, like uh, I know Ron mentioned, thinks being an Eric Dickerson kind of clone. Um, do you think him being gone, he was a bigger back. Do you think USC is too thin at the running back position, like Peter was asking about? And how, how do you think it's going to have a big impact on the running game? Well, it will have an impact on it if they continually have injuries, because uh, last year they lost a lot of backs. They lost Red. They lost Davis. Uh, now Buck Allen. Uh, uh, was a pretty solid player, and definitely he's going to be a great player at USC. Madden is going to be a great player, and they basically carried the load in spring practice, along with this new kid. I think his name is what Townsend or Towns from Indio, a walk-on kid that I thought was a pretty good player, could be a scholarship player at a lot of a lot of Division One universities. So you know, he looked at that, and uh, a lot of times kids don't plan on playing because someone's going to get hurt. But I agree, Reggie Petard, uh, Depard type of guy, um, Eric Dickerson type of guy, tall, not thin, but um, doesn't le- run with a lean, but runs with power. And I never got a chance to see just what his speed was. He, he ran through people. He caught a couple of screen passes and ran well in the open field. 
but he's definitely going to be a, a miss for USC. I mean, he's going, he's going to be a great player. But you see, in the old days, Ryan, kids like this would be willing to redshirt. Kids like this would say, hey, you know, I'll sit out a year, let these kids move on. But right now, kids don't want to redshirt anymore, get ahead academically or work in their graduate work. They want to get to the NFL. And the number one thing they're all thinking about, what's my best way of getting to the NFL rather than what's best for me? And we could talk a little about some of the draft choices that left early or kids that didn't get drafted that left early. So kids think differently today. You know, if Ty Isaac was one or I'd go in and sit down and talk with Coach Sarkeesian and say, hey, Coach, I don't know what my chances are this year, but it might be best for me to redshirt to get my opportunities when these other backs leave. But no, they want to move right now, get discouraged, I don't think they're getting their opportunities for one reason or another. They think they're better than some of the backs that are playing in front of them, so they just transfer. And, uh, you know, that's what happened. Same thing with Matt Wittick, you know, now. Uh, different circumstances, uh, but the same type of thing, except Ty did it as a freshman. Um, you were talking about James Toland, by the way, the uh, the run- walk-on running back from Indio. Um, What's th- his name again? James Toland. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. Max Wittick, Matt Wittick. You know, that's cool. It all works. <laughs> what I call him, Max? You, you call, I think you call him Matt sometimes, Coach. All right. Well, sometimes it's early in the morning. It is. It, you're, you know, you're, it's, I, hey, I'm with you. I got it. Um, <laughs> but thanks for that. And we have one more voicemail question. It's kind of a three, he has like a three part question here, but um, there's some, uh, you know, I, if, yeah, well, I'll just play it for you. Here you go. Hey guys, this is Alfredo from El Paso. Love the show. Question is for Dan or Coach. Um, how does the how do the players decide who are roommates? Like I hear that um, Cody and Max Turek are roommates. How does that come about? Second question is George Farmer a little bit too muscular and maybe injury prone because of that reason. Maybe he needs to just. A little more flexible, maybe lose a little bit of the 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 muscular uh, build that he has. And then the last question: um, I know we're going to be low on running backs since Ty Isaac is transferring. Would or are the fullbacks capable of playing the tailback position? Thank you. Uh, well, um, so number one. Uh, we'll start with the third one because that's when I remember the. Best. Okay, I'll tell you the other two before. Go ahead. Cause. All right, go ahead. No, no, that's right. Ty Isaac, okay. can you talk about the fullback? So we can start with that well, one. Right. Well, we're talking about the running backs again, and you know you do have Penner, uh, who's a, who could be a good running back. You've got Benuku, who could be a, a strong running back in goal line situations. Will it make a difference uh, as far as in the backfield? Uh, yes. It always when you lose great players, it always makes a difference in the backfield. So, yeah, uh, it, it could be thin in the backfield if, if someone gets hurt. Now, you've got two guys coming back, there were, there, or uh, Justin Davis coming back, who was a starting running back in the fall, had a great fall last year, and became injured. I thought he was the best back in camp, really. Uh, now, Buck Allen comes along, and <laughs> that's going to be quite a battle between those two. And then Madden. Madden had a great spring. He's a, he's a great player. You've got enough players at USC to get it done, especially when you're running a one-back system. They just have to learn to run the ball 20 or 30 or 40 times a game without complaining and doing that. 
In the old days, backs would carry the ball 23 times a game, and there was nothing to it. Some backs carried the ball 40 times a game. There was nothing to it. Sure, you're sore on Monday and Tuesday, but you get yourself back ready to go. Today, backs look to the sideline if they make a 40-yard run and say, take me out, you know, let the crowd cheer. You stay in the game, and you get used to playing. You get your timing down, and you do all of that. Unfortunately, if someone gets hurt, then you go to the second guy. But I'm not a guy for committee. I'm a guy to let a guy play, have a back maybe for the goal line situation if necessary, and get it done. So uh, that's how I feel in that situation. And, again, you could have done something in the spring by putting in a two-back offense to motivate and let these players see that there was an opportunity for a two-back set for them to have some type of uh, offensive reason to stay. But when you have a one-back set, then it's difficult because they look and they count the numbers and look at the depth chart and they see exactly what's going to happen there. Now, as far as George Farmer being too muscular, uh, he's a good, strong, big kid. Uh, I don't know if that's what it is. I don't think that would be what it is. Sometimes muscular kids get bruises easier because they are, but they also can uh, learn to pound the opponent, too. You've got to learn to be hit and get hit and hit back. Don't take the punishers all the time. Deliver the blow. Don't receive the blow. Unfortunately, he had a knee injury. That's basically could happen to anybody. So uh, he's not back yet 100%, but I'm sure he will be back by the fall. And after he gets through his first scrimmages and gets hit a few times, he'll find out that, yep, I'm back, and he won't even think about it again. He needs to get scrim. He needs a scrimmage. He needs to get hit. He needs to go down. He needs to learn how to deliver the blow rather than receive the blow. And he'll get mentally off of his mind about my knee, my knee, my knee, and quit protecting it and start playing football. Uh, the one other question here. Thanks for those, uh, Coach. The one other one he was talking about, and I don't know if you even know this, I believe they just pick themselves, but how players are, end up being roommates. And he was talking oh, about yeah. Max Turek and uh, Cody Kessler being roommates and stuff. Well, we, we never told people who, who they did room with. You know, I don't want two quarterbacks. I mean, on, a, on, the, on away trips, when we travel, yeah, I used to make the room list because I wanted quarterbacks with quarterbacks because they could talk about plays and game planning in the room, tackles with tackles. The two starting tackles would stay in the same room. The two starting guards would stay in the same room, whatever. So they could talk about blocking schemes and so on. And people and kids do do that when they're in the rooms. They talk about the game or opponents and, and certain schemes they got to remember. And it's, I think that's good. But at home, you don't tell someone who to live with. The kid's got to be happy and be with his friends. And, you know, one guy might study more than the other one. The guy might like a certain type of music and you're playing it and he gets mad. These guys know who they communicate with and who they want to run with and who they like to be with. And you got to give, you can't control a kid's life the entire 24 hours a day. You got to give him some social time and free time. So I never, ever told him who to live with. In fact, some of my players live with non football players, just friends on campus, which is fine. As long as they're off time, you know, it doesn't get him into trouble. If a guy can't handle that, then I'd have to get involved and say, you know, I don't think that's a good idea, you living there. I think we've got to move you before you get in trouble or you're not studying enough or whatever. But I don't. I never, I don't know what they do at SC. I don't think they do it either. Yeah, I, don't think I so. never told a kid who he has to live with. 
Yeah, I don't think they do that either at USC. I think you can. There's a lot. There's choices there, but it's probably a similar th- thing, Coach. If they feel that a guy's living like at a frat house or something and he shouldn't be, <laughs> they might say something. But uh, right. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for those. Uh, here's, here's an interesting one, Coach, from Jim in Canyon. Um, I'm not sure which canyon. I was in the Grand Canyon, Jim. I don't know if you're there, but I got no reception there. So that's why we couldn't do the podcast. Uh, but he has a power running game question. I thought this was interesting. He said, a couple weeks ago, one of the callers expressed concerns to Coach Hyde about the fate of the offense in general and a power running game in particular. I heard Coach Hyde's response as echoing those concerns, and I agree. Seems to me that the first step towards putting together a powerful offensive line is to end this ridiculous, quote-unquote, experiment with Max Turek at center, return him to right tackle and develop Jacob Rogers or perhaps Teo Lobendon at that position. And he also wants to make sure that, uh, he also said Damian Mama and uh, Viana Talamiavo, they should be they shouldn't, uh, they should be in the mix, not anointing someone else as a starter. Uh, just let them get in there and compete because they're big, bruising bodies. He said if, if Max Brown and, uh, Adore Jackson, Mama, Talamiavo are holding clipboards or helmets, and we have a center who can't snap the ball to the quarterback. We can expect the same result as last year an excellent defense and a sputtering and mediocre offense. I don't think I'm alone being skeptical about the new quote unquote offensive genius being able to return to common sense, but we can hope. That's from Jim and Canyon, very critical of the way he sees this USC offense going. Hasn't even snapped the ball yet in a real game, but he's pretty critical about it, Coach. Well, I think he should have concerns. Uh, I really do, because we all saw the same thing. I don't know if he went to any spring practices, but I know he went to the spring game, obviously. And I think that the defense has really progressed. I think they're more sound. I think they've got their players in the right position. I think these defensive alignments and schemes really fit them. The secondary certainly did get better, really got better in the spring. They were covering better. They had a free safety. They were picking off passes, jumping on passes. They had they played with a lot more confidence. And I thought that the defensive or outside linebackers played well and uh, with some improvement, too, in the defensive line with some of these kids, Simmons and Palin and these guys. Uh, they'll have a pretty good front seven. On the offensive side, I think the skilled kids are there. I think the running backs are there normally. Uh, <laughs> That's a great bunch of running backs, and they're going to get additional help in the fall at running back and, and the defensive side, too. But the offensive line is something that really worries me. Uh, you can't win championships unless you knock people off the ball. You've got to be able to run the football to win championships. Of course, you've got to pass the ball, too. But your first thing can't be in the line of confidence is passing the football rather than run, running the football. They've got to be equally as potent and uh, I think that if you don't practice teaching toughness in the offensive line it doesn't you can't become tough and I think some of the moving around of finding your best five combination is something to work on and something that I we all believe in if you have to move players around and Turek has to go back to tackle that's fine if someone else can run the center position and I think that's what you got to do you got to have your best five on the field, and I agree 100% as far as any newcomer coming in or Jordan Simmons and Walker. These guys have got to pick up the pace. Walker and Simmons, there's no excuses any longer. It's time for them to pl- uh, play. I mean, uh, being hurt is being hurt, but also getting ready to play for the season is something, too. So they got to come back with a great attitude. Otherwise, I'd start a freshman. You think I'm kidding you? I'd, I'd start a 
hungry freshmen, somebody to come in like Mama or these other kids, I'd tell them, hey, when you come in, you're not coming to camp. You're coming in to start. And I would tell those other kids that are returning, hey, I've told those kids, nobody's position is secure. The best five are going to play because we got to knock people off the line of scrimmage and we've got a play-action pass from that, and we've got to run the football, especially in short-yard situations. So it's a little bit different. Uh, the philosophy is different now at USC. I've talked to many coaches and people in the Trojan family. It's going to be very interesting to see a different type of offense at USC. Normally, the offense in the past at USC has been, hey, in the third quarter, we're going to make them surrender. They're going to throw the white flag on the field because we've hammered them, we beat them, they're bleeding. They come over after the game and they don't say, hey, you know, you were lucky to win. They come over and say, hey, not only did you beat us, you hurt us. And uh, and that's the way, way it used to be in the glory years. And that's the way USC boosters look at USC as an elite type of program where you don't try to do what everybody else is doing. You do what you do well and you make them surrender. So it's going to be a different fit for USC people to see the hurry-up offense. And, uh, and I hope it's very successful, and I hope the personnel fits it. Uh, and we're going to wait and see what happens with that. I, normally with that type of offense, if you don't have a great offensive line, then you try to you know, do a tie block. Everyone ties, and you leave it up to the back to use his God-given ability to to, to, to find the open seam or break it back to make that yardage. So I agree 100% with uh, my man from Canyon Country. We'll have to see what happens. But the key of any football team on offense is the offensive line and the quarterback, of course. You can't want out a quarterback. All right. Uh, thank you for answering that, Coach, and thanks for the question, uh, Jim. Let's see. We go – Mel, we'll do one last question, and we've got a couple topics I want to talk to you about, Coach. Uh, our buddy Melvin, who likes to write in, uh, is actually on vacation in Hawaii, so he's not going to be able to to hear this podcast till he gets back. But he had some Hawaiian themed uh, questions about uh, USC. Uh, he said he wanted to know about any recent players from USC or USC players that actually were from Hawaii. And he said recently USC scheduled Hawaii several times. He said I believe they played eight games in this series. Why do you think they've played so often recently? Is that a perk, quote-unquote perk, for the USC family, players, fans, and school to have an away game in Hawaii that they can attend? Note, my, note I myself have gone to an away game for USC in Hawaii and, of course, used that as a great reason to spend a couple extra days uh, in Hawaii. So what do you think about former USC players from Hawaii or, or players from Hawaii and scheduling Hawaii on the, on, on the schedule there? Well, I think the number one reason they have scheduled Hawaii is because it's been a good trip for them. I think their alumni, the, the alumni loves to go there, as he mentioned, stay a few extra days. They've been a great group of USC fans to travel to Hawaii. Hawaii likes it because it's a big name coming in, and SC people usually spend some bucks, and they bring a nice crowd. They can afford to go there. And uh, it gives them national recognition, and they're normally on national TV and in the L.A. market where they're trying to get tourism to at the same time to come to Hawaii and talk about the beautiful weather that's there. And uh, I think it's a good recruiting point, point too, for USC, saying that we're going to go to Hawaii in two years, and they're coming back, and then we're going to go again. You might go twice if you stay here four years, and so on, so on, so on. 
But I do have to agree with this gentleman. There has not been a lot of recruitment being done in Hawaii, yet they have played against a lot of great Hawaiian football players, the quarterback up at Oregon, Marietta, the tail, uh, other great ones out there. That, that There are great football players in Hawaii. I coached at the University of Hawaii. I know the talent that's there. The Big Ten used to be really crude Hawaii a lot. Uh, teams of BYU's recruiting Hawaii. Uh, there are a lot of teams that recruit Hawaii. USC has not made that really a, a, a place that they've gone. When Norm Chow was on the staff, they used to recruit Hawaii. They used to send Norm over there. Norm was a local. Norm knew everyone. Now, I can't remember if he got anybody out of there or not, but Norm used to have that state as far as a recruiting area. You probably know better than I, Ryan, when the last recruit was out of of the state of Hawaii, but they're great football players. They're really good football players, but uh, uh, I don't know. But I believe really that's what they've scheduled that series for. Uh, I don't think they've done a lot of great recruiting out of Hawaii, but they should. There's a lot of great players there. And it is, and I think I agree with him, with Melvin there. It's kind of a perk. And even when USC was under sanctions, if you get a trip to Hawaii, that's kind of, you know, if you can't go to a bowl game, that I, I think Alabama's done that before when they were under sanctions. I think like in 2002 or something. Uh, and you, and if you go to Hawaii, you actually get an extra home game. So there's some advantages there. Uh, to doing that because it's such a long trip. So I, I think it's something that makes sense because USC is about as close to Hawaii as you can get as far as being in the continental United States. So why not go there? It's just like kind of flying to the East Coast, but it's a lot more fun. And you do get an extra home game. And as far as uh, recent players, so Abe Markowitz, who you know was at USC for six years, uh, you know wasn't recruited, but he was a walk-on, ended up earning a scholarship. He's from Hawaii. The only one, uh, you know, they you mentioned Teo, Coach Manti Teo, someone they recruited very hard. Actually thought they got him. He ended up going to Notre Dame. Uh, the last one that I remember that made a big contribution is Kaluka Maiava. Um, he was part of that great linebacker crew with Brian Cushing and Ray Maluga and, and Clay Matthews. So he was, uh, you know, he's from Hawaii, and I think he just signed with, he was with the Browns. I think he just signed with uh, the Raiders last year. So I think he's with the Raiders now. But um, so those are the guys off the top of my head. If anyone has other Hawaiian connections, uh, USC, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com and help us out with that. But I, I couldn't think of anyone else, Coach. No, I can't think of anybody else either. And there's probably someone. So I didn't mean to slight anybody. But yeah. uh, it's a great football area. It's a football state. I tell you, they love the game of football. They'll have 20,000 people at a high school football game. And there are real players there, so uh, I, I would think that Tuiap. No, who is it? Who who? Kaluka Maiava. Who rec- huh? You mean Kaluka Maiava? You're talking? Yeah. Who would be recruiting? Who would be the best to, to assign to Hawaii? They might put uh, Marcus Tuiasasopo. Yeah. Uh, they might do, but I'm not sure. That's a good question. We can. Uh, we'll have to check with Gerard on the recruiting podcast and see who's who's responsible for Hawaii right now. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I never see on your recruiting mentions in athletes and lists any athletes from the state of Hawaii, so I don't know if anybody's being recruited out of there. Yeah, that's true, too. I'll have to look at the target list. Um, but thanks for that, Melvin. Enjoy your time in Hawaii. And, Coach, I just want two topics before we we'll let you go. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Pac-12 championship game, uh, moving to 49ers, where the 49ers are going to play, the new 49ers stadium. 
But do you want my real opinion? I want your real opinion, Coach, of course. Well, I haven't been one to ever hold back. No. No. So I just want you to know I think it's uh, ridiculous. I think it's stupid. And Larry Scott, if you're listening or if someone wants to send him a copy of the tape, that's fine. Maybe I get a fine or maybe I can't play for two days or two weeks or whatever. But why would you, why would you have it there? I know it's a beautiful stadium. Beautiful stadium in San Francisco. First of all, the room rates are, are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I, I mean, to, to go up there. Uh, I think that also you can't get to it very easily. It's in Santa Clara. Uh, while other cities, and, and let me tell you, I've, I've been working on this and tried to get it to Las Vegas, Nevada. While it's an event city, where it's in the middle of the Pac-12, completely in the middle of the part, Pac-12, from the Arizona, Utah schools, Northern California, Washington, Southern California, would put on such a tremendous event there. It would be a major bowl game. It would be, the locals would be so interested. You can't get Stanford people to go to uh, the game in San Francisco, Pac-12 championship game. Hell, they, lo- they made their stadium smaller. They don't even come down and really buy a lot of Rose Bowl tickets. And to have two different teams, if Stanford's not in there, go there? Who's going to support it? So my feeling is it's an event city. Why did they move the Pac-12 tournament from Los Angeles to Las Vegas? And why did it turn from a dud to a success? Because people wanted to go to Vegas, surround themselves with all the entertainment activities, the food, and everything else that's going on. And currently in Las Vegas, you had the WAC basketball championships, the Mountain West basketball championships, the Pac-12 Mountain uh, tournament championships. You had the WCC championships. Because these conferences have all found out people will go to Las Vegas because there's more than just the games. And in Vegas, that's the place that could have had 50,000 seats. The locals would have come out and paid $50 a seat. Uh, SC people experienced it last year. So many SC people went to the Las Vegas Bowl. I talked to the Las Vegas Bowl people. It was amazing. They just flew in and flew out, and they stayed in there. They had a ball. Ask the players themselves if they had a good time. Now, of course, it's a championship playoff game, so they won't be getting all the bowl activities. But it'll be, it's a great place to stage a championship game. The Northern Section's winner and the Southern uh, champion in Las Vegas would be bigger than the Las Vegas Bowl, which they sell out every single year because they're hungry for football and the people love to go to Las Vegas. Las Vegas wanted this event. But uh, I don't know why Larry did this, but he took it to Northern Cal, which is closer to Stanford and Cal, and then it favors them. Take it to a neutral site. Big airport in Las Vegas. You can get into Las Vegas. Room rates are absolutely ridiculous during the month of December, where you can get in there and stay for three or four days, have a great time, and then fly home or drive home. So I'm not real happy with that selection, but who cares what my thoughts are. But I wanted to, since you asked me, voice them. Because if I had my choices of where I was going to go for the Pac-12 championship game, that's where I'd rather go. And in San Francisco, the 49ers are a big name. That's where all their football fans are up there. 
in Las Vegas, it would be the Pac-12 championship game. So that's my thoughts. I don't know. Did I answer it for yeah, you? No, you did. Yeah, that's good. I, I agree. That'd be, that'd be a great venue to, to have it. And then just one last thing before we let you go, Coach, on the – we, we we talked about it last week a little bit, but just before we let you go, some of the your thoughts on the USC players that didn't get drafted and what went on there at the end. Well, you know, we've talked about this. In fact, I tweeted out for all my followers, that's at Coach Harvey Hyde, uh, what I thought the night before, and Ryan, you probably got it, exactly the breakdown on every single athlete that SC had coming out what round I thought they'd go in if they got drafted. Every single one of them. And I was almost right on exactly, exactly. Because I didn't think some players were ready to come out. I think it was an emotional move rather than a smart move. They got involved with all the controversy at the end of the year and Ed Orgeron and all what happened there. Deion Bailey came out. Now he's been lucky to sign with the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll person because he knows his ability, but he needed another year to learn how to play secondary. He played linebacker most of the time. He needed to have another year in college. George Uko, I told his father when I saw him at practice, this kid's going to play in the NFL someday. Now he may still play in the NFL, but at a different level with different money. He wasn't ready to come out, but he got emotionally involved in when Orgeron, who coached him, uh, wasn't coming back. He got emotional and left. So he didn't need to go out. He, he just didn't. It just wasn't time for him to go out. Um, trying to think who the other player was. Uh, who else was it? So you're talking to as far like uh, Dion Bailey, Xavier Grimble, and Xavier uh, Grimble. Yeah. I mean, here's a kid where he got involved in that emotional part of it and didn't catch a lot of balls and. Uh, and but he would have been fabulous in this offense that Sarkeesian's running. He's a big, strong kid. Whoever was advising them and so on didn't didn't really understand. I mean, maybe they do understand these agents, but sometimes who are these agents? I don't even know who their agents are, or care who they are. But there's some kids that need that extra year and a little bit more success and exposure to get to that level as far as making money in the uh, NFL. But, you know, I think those kids will make it and they'll play, but not where they want it to come out at. I really don't. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Thanks for uh, sharing all your thoughts. Thanks for coming on a Tuesday. And uh, we'll hope to uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Uh, the next time you want to take a hike down the canyon, let me know, will you? I will. Do you want to come with me? No, I just want to let you wish you the best of luck. <laughs> Thanks, Coach. I need it. I'm still sore today, so it was, uh, it was fun, but, man, it was rough. All right. Well, thanks. All right, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Coach. You can follow him at Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow me at Inside Troy. We'll be back in a minute talking with Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. 
We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back on the Peristyle Podcast. Have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber joining the show. Dan, what's going on on a Tuesday on the podcast? We're mixing it up this week. Yeah, no, uh, no going on uh, all that uh, hiking in, uh, in Grand Canyon was going on. Sounds like, uh, <laughs> sounds like a lot of... A lot of fun. Uh, so uh, n- not a lot. I just actually, well, you know, college football is getting here. I just got off an interview with a uh, sports talk station in Salt Lake City where they every year they uh, preview uh, the University of Utah schedule and uh, they go through the Pac-12 and all the opponents. And so we were talking USC football in Salt Lake City this morning already. So uh, it can't be too far away if you're if you're uh, you're already uh, looking ahead, yeah, that's a, that's great. To, when the previews start coming, I think it's about a hundred days left. Um, and of course, like you said, I went away to the Grand Canyon, had a great time hiking, just unplugged for four days. But right before I leave, some news breaks, Dan. And uh, right, you know, as I was leaving and getting out of town, so I'll, I'm, we have a lot of questions on this. I might read a couple in a minute, but I want to play you this voicemail one and, and kind of get your reaction. Uh, here you go. Hey, Ryan, Coach, and Dan. Uh, it's Jeff uh, calling from Altadena. And uh, this is basically a two-part question. Um, with uh, Ty Isaac basically relinquishing his uh, Cardinal and Gold threads and transferring, where do you see us filling that fourth spot in the running back depth, depth chart? Um, the top two are obviously locked with Trey and Buck and Davis. would probably be number three if he's healthy. Um, but all the panic that I'm seeing in the blogosphere is, is kind of surprising. Um, obviously, like DJ, we don't really know what's going on with him um, since he didn't really do anything during the spring, just some walkthroughs. Um, but no one seems to really talk about um, James Tolan. I know that uh, he was a pretty good stud in uh, high school, and he looked pretty good in spring. Just wanted to kind of get your guys' thoughts. Um, fight on as usual. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, I think uh, James Tolan, you know, definitely stepped in there and and, and did so in the in the spring. Uh, he also got dinged up a little bit, but uh, he got a chance to show what he, uh, you know, what he could do. But I think the other people that showed up in the spring, early in the spring, and we probably should have picked up on this a little bit more. Soma Vanuku, before he uh, uh, sprained his knee, was running some tailback. Is is the really big, big tailback, the 255 pound tailback. And then uh, uh, after he went down, then uh, Jaleel Pinner started lining up a tailback. And since we never did really ever get a good answer as to what, you know, Ty Isaac's, quote, injury, unquote, was for the spring, just that he really wasn't there until the very, you know, then he comes in on the you know, spring game and gets a bunch of carries uh, for his video, I would think, and they're probably trying to help him. But, uh, but I think one of the other ways that they could go is they go one back, uh, pretty much exclusively, and uh, if you go one back, you've got you know Pinner and uh, and Soma as uh, big backs. Uh, you know, Soma's uh, you know quite a bit bigger than Isaac you know was, and and Gilio is as well, is bigger as well. So, I, you know, I don't think they're hurting for the you know the big back uh, spot, and then James Tolan gives you somebody similar to Justin Davis. So, uh, so they're. In pretty good shape. I mean, if there was a position you had to lose somebody, uh, that was the position. As far as uh, the running back position goes, I, I agree with you there, Dan. And we got more questions about it. 
Um, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts. I'll read a couple of them. I don't want to go through every single one. I apologize if we don't get to yours, but a lot of Ty Isaac questions, as you can imagine. Um, one of the more interesting ones, Kevin in South Orange County wrote in, and he actually wrote this uh, in November. He said, any signs that Ty Isaac is thinking of leaving after the season? His Twitter account background shows him in high school and just, quote, unquote, 815 as his quick blurb. Nothing about USC or much about being out here at all. And then so he just and he followed up with that. He said, I sent you this back in November thinking I should change careers and become a psychic. Didn't seem out of that realm of possibility last year. Do you know if they put any restrictions on where he could transfer? I'm assuming the Big Ten makes the most sense for him. Uh, but he could potentially play them in the Rose Bowl, which would suck down the road. And and we had other uh, – Erlen, West L.A., Jeff wrote in. They want to know about the, the if there was any kind of backstory. Is it really just that he's homesick? Um, Jeff had t- talked about him being kind of an odd size for a running back. Do you think he's going to continue to be a running back? So maybe get some, some thoughts on those people that also wrote in about Ty Isaac. Yeah, I, I think if there's a backstory, I think it's uh, from what we can tell – that there's an issue that, you know, maybe not a serious health issue, but an issue that is keeping his mom from flying to come see him play. And, and I think that's, the, you know, more of an issue. And I think there was a, you know, definite homesickness issue and a close family and all of that. But I think that the, the need to go home is more of a case of, you know, if, if your mom can't fly and can't come see you play uh, in a close family, you know, you probably start thinking that, you know, that thought as to what can I do uh, in, in terms of, um, of, you know, where would I, where would be best for me to go and play? Now, the question I got, I don't know if, you know, Notre Dame is, is the one that always comes up. Uh, there's some interesting, you know, issues there. Last year in, in the fall, transfer of a Oregon State basketball player uh, to Illinois was denied. He was denied the hardship waiver because uh, he's a Chicago kid, wanted to be near his grandmother who had raised him, who was sick. And um, he wasn't allowed to get the immediate uh, eligibility because the NCAA said the University of Illinois campus was more than 100 miles away from his house uh, in Chicago. And as we, I guess, our rival site at Northwestern, looked it up, and from uh, Ty Isaac's Shorewood, Illinois home, it's 109 miles. This is amazing, kind of exactly 109 miles to Notre Dame's campus, and it's exactly 109 miles to the University of Illinois' campus. The only uh, school, uh, major school, that you know passes muster, uh, the, uh, the under 100-mile rule would be uh, Northwestern, which is 56 miles away. Now, whether that would still apply in a case like this where you're only coming home so that your mom can drive to the games because she can't fly, uh, I don't know how they would, how they would decide that. Uh, although the Northwestern people hear that the immediate eligibility isn't necessarily the most uh, important thing for Ty, getting you know, to the right place. And you know, their sense is that, that Michigan, which I think basically – was the next pick behind USC is still his his choice. So uh, if you go to Michigan, then he's not coming home um, for immediate eligibility. He'd be coming home so that mom, you know, obviously she can drive to Michigan or, or any of those 
schools, uh, you know, not that much difference in terms of, you know, driving. But if that's the um, the key motivation, then, uh, then you know, Michigan certainly gets into the into the mix there. So, so and I don't know, and we don't know, and they haven't said whether USC restricted him, you know, from current opponents. I mean, that would be there really are no current opponents that are very close to his home. Uh, other than Notre Dame, um, so we'll have to see. Uh, you know, if that happens, uh, I would say it'd be a flip a coin. The Notre Dame one, USC restricted Kyle Prater from going to Notre Dame, didn't restrict, you know, Amir Carlisle. My, my, um, funny, and I, I think USC fans, you know, could consider this. And if you say it sucks if he's playing somebody that comes and plays against USC, but uh, but one of the the you know. Dream scenarios could be that, let's say Max Wittick gets everything resolved and starts over again because um, uh, you know the Texas thing doesn't happen or whatever. And let's say Notre Dame gets involved with him, and let's say you know he wasn't restricted, which he probably would be. But uh, uh, would there be a possibility that in a couple of years the USC uh, could be playing a Notre Dame team starting in all? ex-USC backfield in Amir Carlisle, uh, Ty Isaac, and Max Wittick. And would that be a win for USC? To me, I would think that would probably be a win for USC if during the time when Notre Dame tried to, you know, got involved in a, uh, you know, just trying to destroy USC through NCAA sanctions, USC still had enough uh, players left over to uh, supply <laughs> Notre, Notre Dame, Dame with their whole, whole backfield. Just to, just to have fun. That would be a fun week to advance the game, though. That is pretty just crazy. <laughs> uh, all right. So, well, yeah, good anyway. St- yeah. Well, good stuff. I, for- I wouldn't get too excited. I just have fun with it. I, he's a good kid. Did a nice job for USC. We wish him well. We really do wish the best for him. Uh, you know, close to his family. Uh, don't think it's wrong if, if your mom – Wants to be able to go to the games. I don't think that's uh, that's a bad thing. Um, so good stuff there, Dan. And then uh, one last thing. Well, it's not really on Ty Isaac, but Chad in Riverside wrote in. He said, I heard you mention that there might be a player auditioning a bit at running back uh, on the last Thursday practice of the spring. My guess would be that it would be Nelson Aguilar or Anthony Brown based on their high school positions. Uh, but if it is a fact that someone like Nelson would – uh, would that be too big of a risk considering how banged up running backs can get? Is he too valuable as the number one receiver? Thanks and fight on. I actually think he sent this in before the Ty Isaac stuff uh, broke, but wanted to get your thoughts on what Chad and Riverside had to say. Yeah, I think that's a good guess. And I think, you know, as we saw over the weekend, uh, uh, Marquise Lee got a couple of fly sweep carries at Jacksonville in their camp, and it's clearly he's going to do something like that. Uh, that would be – what I would, you know, the only way I would see that playing out. But I could see that part of it playing out where where you give, um, you know, and I, that wouldn't surprise anybody, where you give the ball to Nelson on a couple of things like that. Uh, but uh, but other than that, I think they're in pretty good shape with, with the two big fullbacks who can both run the ball. I mean, I think they were shocked at how well Jaleel ran the ball this spring. I mean, I think that was one of the big revelations of the spring that he runs the ball like a natural tailback. So um, that's a pretty good, you know, way to – and if you're not going to use the fullback, and that hasn't still been resolved as to, as to how they, you know, Sark didn't use the fullback last year with Bishop Sankey, but 
in the previous years when he had them, he did use them. So I don't think it's ever been resolved as to actually what he is going to do at USC. This might help, you know, make that decision a little bit easier if uh, if they. Although you know, this is USC is one of the teams in, in the country that doesn't exactly need big running backs. I mean, if you've got Trey Madden and you know Buck Allen is 215 pounds and Trey's probably going to play at 225, you're not exactly hurting for for big running backs. So again, that was a place where you know having Ty move on is not the the worst shot, even though I think it takes them down to. 69 originally recruited scholarship players on this roster. All right. Uh, let's go. We'll switch topics a little bit. We'll no more tie Isaac for a bit. And uh, let's go to, uh, yeah, this is Earl in West LA. He wanted to know, he said, I know Josh Shaw, Gerald Bowman, and Randall Telfer graduated. What other former and current Trojan football players end up graduating last week? If well, you, know. you know, this year for some, and I didn't, this is one of the few times I hadn't gone. And, uh, they didn't put out an official list, but I think uh, Gerald Bowman uh, graduated. Anthony Brown graduated. Uh, Deion Bailey, we knew, uh, was had graduated. The four uh, guys who got scholarships in the fall, one of the reasons they were able to give those guys scholarships is they were all going to graduate or had, actually, or had just gotten all their – and those, that was Cody Steen, Kyle Yatabi, John Aran, and, and John Akiba. And I know uh, Nelson, or, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, boom, boom, boom. Uh, who else is applying for graduate school? Oh, Gertler. Is, uh, so he was uh, getting his degree in, uh, in psychology and applying for graduate school once he got his, uh, his uh, scholarship uh, was given to him. So that's a partial list. Uh, they did put up some photos. From graduation, not a lot of fo- – that's about all the football players we saw. That doesn't mean that that's the only ones. I think I also heard that Robert Woods came back and got it. So I've got a, a request in to see if they can give me every single one of these guys, uh, and we'll we'll get that information to you. But I think Robert Woods came back and got his. Uh, I'm hearing that he did. Don't know that for sure. Uh, and uh, we'll let you know if, if there's anybody else uh, like uh, – there's always been one or two of those guys every year. And um, a lot of times it's it's uh, the NFL guys who have just finished up, like uh, Thomas Williams or Charles uh, Washington or, oh, I'm trying to think, oh, Darnell Bing. The guys that, you know, get their five years in were a little bit short and uh, and come back and, uh, and and then get their degree. So we'll find out for you. Um. Okay, let's see. Let's move on. We have a question from Mark, and he said, since all the moves Larry Scott makes, so the, he's talking about the Pac-12 commissioner, ultimately are economically oriented, can you review the economics of moving the title game from the home team to the neutral site? And his questions are, what do you think the revenue for the previous four title games versus having it in 49 stadium, 49er Stadium would be? Is Santa Clara writing a check to the conference to subsidize the game from the hotel taxes? What corporation, what corporation or title game sponsor would pre-purchase game seats to guarantee a full stadium? And does Fox want a neutral site? So those are all kind of questions from Mark about the Pac-12 moving the title game. 
I would think, you know, to start in reverse order, I would think any TV uh, uh, operation, whoever, the, and it goes back and forth between Fox and ESPN, would want it in a, uh, uh, you know, in a, uh, a predetermined and uh, really, I mean, I guess it's going to be the most uh, uh, modern stadium in America. And uh, so that would be a lot easier than not knowing until maybe the week before, basically not knowing until the week before whether you're going to Eugene, Oregon, or Tempe, Arizona. Uh, so from TV's point of view, I would think no question they'd rather have it you know, this way. Um, yeah, I mean, what we're hearing from the Pac-12 is that they wrote a check, you know, that there's a there's a lot of money on the table for them, and they just, you know, it was one of those offers you couldn't turn down. Because even if you do go to, you know, Eugene, you're, you know, you're talking 54,000-seat stadium. If you go to Stanford, you're talking a, you know, what, 50,000-seat stadium that's uh, two th- or third empty the year before. And so, um, so I don't know that they're thinking that was going to hurt them all that much. I think they did some surveys among 49ers ticket uh, season ticket you know holders, and uh, in some places like the um, pack or the Big 12 when they started it in Kansas City, they ended up uh, making it part of the Chiefs uh, season ticket package where you could order those ticket uh, tickets. Now weather became a problem there in Kansas City, but um, uh, I think there's that possibility that they will. Uh, make it part of uh, the you know the 49ers season ticket package, uh, and I just think we're going to have to see. It's just a different thing. I mean, it, it's the perfect thing in the South to do it in in uh, you know Atlanta, even though there you know there's a team in Athens, uh, you know whatever, 60 miles away. Uh, but it's kind of a neutral site when they play in uh, in Atlanta. But they know, you know, those people are going to show up. Uh, I don't think in the Pac-12 you know for sure. One of the things that's interesting is coming out of the media in the Bay Area is they've all decided that there's only one game that will absolutely uh, sell the place out, and that's uh, USC-Oregon. And they've kind of decided, you know, if we get USC-Oregon, this uh, this game's, a, you know, it's, it's a go. It'll do really well. So, Maybe that's uh, maybe that's what will happen. Uh, yeah, I do think that, that there will be some corporate uh, – can they get a sponsor just for the game? Uh, are they going to have the ability to, you know, really market the, uh, the private boxes, for example, uh, that they can't really do? Uh, you can't do that on a week's notice or six days' notice uh, at a college stadium. And some of the college stadiums, if you, you know, the Coliseum, you really don't have them the same way. Uh, that you will at, say, Levi Stadium. So I think they're looking at all the, the upsides of that stadium. Now, if, uh, you know, if Stanford gets in there on a year where they're not really all that great uh, and, you're, you know, you're playing some team from the north that thinks they're going to be playing in the playoffs the next week and decides we'll wait till then to travel, uh, you could have a crowd that is pretty embarrassing as well. It's just no, no guarantees. But uh, but I don't think we know how it's going to play out. I think we do know Levi Stadium wanted to make a big impact uh, this first year. And so I think they, uh, the guaranteed money is, is pretty good for the Pac-12 for starters. But we'll see how this plays out. And it's close to the Pac-12 offices in Walnut Creek and 
it's not exactly a home field advantage uh, just because the closest program is Stanford, and they don't really have a home field advantage that way They're, with their fans. They're just not that kind of a, you know of a program. So, so you know, I think it's worth a try. I just think the trend though of of moving away from LA with everything that they've got. They've moved both basketball tournaments and the uh and now the possibility of a championship football game. And uh it just you know, like if USC would be in it this year, they still won't have a chance to host it. And so uh you know, you've never had one in, in LA. And, you know, the direct T V decision has impacted LA the most as LA is the biggest, you know, direct TV market in the country. So uh, it's kind of, you know, the fact that the PAC 12 networks, despite LA's, uh, you know, number one, probably broadcast, you know, video media in the world, they moved it, you know, to San Francisco. Uh, so <laughs> that's a little troubling that the PAC 12, God, you know, forbid they'll, they'll move media day. Uh, they've already moved mas- basketball media day. Uh, so all we're left with is football media day or media days this year. There's two. Woo-hoo! Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that's what we've got. And they want to always seem like have them at a movie studio. So I guess we're safe there for a while. Yeah. That if they want to go to a movie studio, yeah, they probably have to come to, come to Southern California. <laughs> but, uh, oh, the PAC 12. Yeah. We love to poke fun. We um. love the PAC 12. <laughs> Uh, all right, good stuff on that, Dan. And, uh, we'll see if USC ends up making it in there. It's, it's kind of sad, I guess, that if Stanford, you know, top five team in the country, many, you know, the last few years, if they made it to the Pac-12 championship game and it was just down the road, probably wouldn't sell out, which is kind of sad. Yeah, it's it's a different world, and that's what is hard to translate to the rest of the country. Some of the time is, wow, if we had a team that good. <laughs> You couldn't buy a ticket, right. you know. It's just Stanford's a different place. I mean, it's uh, and you know, these are smart guys and they're tough guys, you know. And it's like, huh? How does that work? That that doesn't exactly, you know, translate in SEC uh, lingo. Uh, it's just that's like Vanderbilt being the big bully in the SEC. Uh, uh-uh, that's not happening. No, but. Uh, <laughs> It's, so Stanford, you know, it's a one-of-a-kind deal. So, but I don't think, you know, that tilts anything toward, uh, you know, the unfairness of, of that game. Even though, you know, Santa Clara is right down the road from Palo Alto. Uh, all right, let's see. We got a interesting question from Jim in Oregon. He said, "I appreciate Dan's shout out about the quote-unquote little school in Gardena." He's talking about uh, Sarah High School. He mentioned the NFL draft selections of Marquise Lee and Paul Richardson. So two players that went to that high school were selected in the draft, uh, I guess, a week or two ago. But he said, and I don't want to screw up his name, but I think it's Ben A. Benwickery. Uh, He's class of 2010, was also selected in the fifth round by Carolina. He's out of San Jose State and potentially a USC miss. I think three of I think three high school prospects from, you know, being selected in the draft in California is probably the most in California. And I bet you it ranks right up there nationally. Thanks for the great show and coverage, uh, Jim in Oregon. So I just want to point out there was another Sarah guy that got Yeah, I didn't know that till this week. I had that kid, you know, USC wasn't the only one that missed, missed on that kid. That is just an amazing deal from Sarah High School. I mean, I think that was one of the things that pushed him over the edge 
in the uh, you know the whole sanctions thing is or, or it validated that it just wasn't fair because if you can get you know uh, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee and George Farmer if they can all take a bus to the USC campus that's just not I mean that's three receivers probably better coming out you know in uh, within a year of each other maybe more than the entire state of Texas or the entire, you know, Southeastern Conference territory. And these are three kids, you know, from one area of L.A. that could take a city bus to campus. And I know people look at that and say, that's just not fair. <laughs> you know, what the heck? They shouldn't be, you know, it's just the way it is. I mean, I, who knows? Who can explain that? I mean, it's just, it's almost impossible. I know people, you know, look from outside and say, what's going on? How is that possible? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think Sarah, you can explain Sarah in, in recent years. It's just pretty amazing. Uh, let's see. Oh, here's a good one. I wanted to read this one for you, Dan. Uh, this is about. This is another one about the draft. He said, today, uh, this is from uh, Earl again. Uh, today I heard that Morgan Breslin could receive as much as $1 million from an insurance policy he took out last year in the event his draft status was downgraded. Over the weekend, I heard Marquis Lee took out a similar policy and could get as much as $4 million due to his downgraded draft status. Can you explain how this insurance works and how it's determined that the draft status downgrade was injury-related? Also, the premiums are extremely expensive for this insurance, far more, far more money than a college student or working stiffs, for that matter, can afford. Does the insurance carrier limit financing to just potential first-round draft picks? Are there long-term financial consequences for the student-athlete? It seems like a risky business for an insurance company, but I can't help but wonder, is there a downside for the student-athlete? So I just want to get some more information on those insurance policies that everyone was talking so much about, Dan. Well, I mean, I guess the, the, the point would be if you don't lose value, I mean, they establish your value, so yeah, they would only be uh, applicable to the high round. You know, the kids are being projected as high round draft picks, and everybody knows kind of who those are and, and where they are, and there there probably has to be a standard established by the uh, you know the insurance company, and everybody knows going in. So if you're a Marquise Lee or you know a Morgan Breslin, and you could say, okay, this is the where I'm established right now after my junior year, probably you know, third to fifth round, I'd say, for Morgan. And then basically um, you look at uh, the fact he did get injured, did get surgery, did miss a lot of games, and did drop out of the draft. And therefore you can look at, you know, say what the average uh, contract is for somebody who would have been in that range of third to fifth round and then see what he's signing for. And then the difference, uh, and I think his policy, from what I – understand was up to two million dollars and that he can collect they think between seven hundred and fifty thousand and a million dollars uh and they're and i think the you know the premiums are you know upwards of twenty thousand thirty thirty thousand dollars a year uh so i guess the downside for them i'm not sure i mean other than there's that money off of your first contract, uh, if you can't collect on the on the policy, that means you signed where you were supposed to go, and you're going to, you know, make, for example, let's say at the bottom range of that uh, um, of that, say where Breslin was, is Devon Kennard, who ended up as a fifth round guy, 
for the New York Giants. So let's say Breslin was always considered in the same area as Devon. And I think Devon's contract is $2.4 million, um, four years, and $189,000 signing bonus. So that's what it's supposed to be with the Giants. So if you looked at that and then you look at what what um, um, Morgan is going to sign for, which I think was a $2,500, you know, maybe a $5,000 or $8,000 signing bonus and a $2,500 guaranteed of next year's minimum, I think, is $420,000. So, um, and obviously not guaranteed except for 2500 of it. So you just have to, you know, take a look at what he's getting as opposed to what you could say he legitimately would have gotten. And uh, there you got probably that 750 to a thousand to a million dollar difference. Uh, so, so I think I mean you're betting against yourself in a way, but you almost hope you lose. And say you lose that twenty or twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars that you had to had to, um, and I'm sure you know kids had to finance that, and they're allowed to do that uh, uh, with the NCA rules now. But say because the NCA wants to keep them in school. So, you know, you're probably hoping, gosh, I hope I don't collect on it. I hope I do have to pay that, you know, twenty-five or 30000 out of my, you know, first year's uh, contract because that means I've got a first-year contract that's going to pay me pretty decently. So, so I think that's kind of – and Morgan evidently will be the first one to, um, to get one of those policies and collect on it. Uh, yeah, that'll be really interesting. There was a I, Yahoo did a, a pretty big story on him too, talking yep. about all that. So re- really interesting stuff. We'll have to see what happens. We haven't heard and a lot about the spotlight on him. I mean, he's gotten a lot of attention this last week in uh, in San Francisco because he's a local kid. Everybody likes him because he plays so hard and he's all football and you know got you know a reputation of a you know kid that he had kind of a tough break uh, this you know senior year and yet he's going to the hometown team. And uh, he has some skills that can really, you know, be valuable in the NFL. So uh, he'll get a lot of – I mean, I think it's working in Morgan's favor. Uh, he'll get a lot of, you know, favorable attention. And he will – you know, there are things he, certainly he's got to work on with, you know, the run coming straight at him and all that. But, uh, but he works so hard, and he'll probably be close to being healthy uh, by the time they put on pads and and – and good luck to Morgan. Yeah, good luck to him, and we'll uh, keep you updated on anything we hear about those uh, policies and collections and all that stuff. But thanks for the question. One last one, Dan. It's not really football, but I thought it's kind of interesting. Boyd and San Ramon, and this kind of comes up a lot. Uh, I realize that looking for logic in NCAA rules is crazy, but how on earth did they decide to limit baseball scholarships to 11.7? It is bizarre and unfair on so many levels. Uh, so that's Boyd and, and San Ramon, and we get this to come up a lot, Dan, when people see USC not competing anymore, and then you realize that you have to, you have under twelve scholarships for the whole team, and it, it really makes it tough for a private institution to compete. Yeah, it's just totally unfair. It's unfair to guys. It's unfair, you know. It's, it's where Title Nine is just unbelievably unfair, and then the double uh, whammy is what it does to um, uh, private schools. So many of those kids that want to play baseball think they've got you know an outside shot at going pro. And if you can go to you know UCLA or Long Beach State or or Fullerton, uh, 
or you know Irvine or whatever. And you, those guys, those teams have all gotten to the College World Series since USC and won it. Um, you know, it's a tough deal, uh, very tough. And, and the idea that you know you probably need about 30 players to play a college baseball schedule with the pitching staff uh, that you need, and to have fewer scholarships available than you do for college softball, which uh, you know you don't need. You can use the same pitcher basically all year, uh, and yet they've got whatever it is, 13-something or 14. Uh, and it's all, you know, Title IX because you got more, you know, guys getting scholarships in football and what have you. It's just – it's so unfair, and it's really been so unfair to USC's program. I thought they did – you know, I mean, they you know, they did a great job this year uh, considering everything and to, you know, be over, you know, over 500 and – Sweep UCLA and uh, all of that. Uh, heck of a job by uh, the USC baseball program. But I think if you had to say, was, was the fact that USC was the dominant baseball program historically, and uh, you know, in the entire college, uh, you know, world in the United States? Yeah, I would think they, you know, it wasn't by accident. You know, there's a reason, and. Uh, you know, there are a lot of schools that would just like to see USC go away. I mean, you, Rod Dado had such an unbelievably good program. And uh, when you look at back and some of the things they did, uh, everybody thought that was unfair, too. You know, just like it's unfair if you've got three receivers like, you know, Woods and uh, Lee and, and Farmer who can take a bus to campus, they also thought it was unfair uh, with how dominant USC baseball was and probably didn't want to see that continue but it was sort of an outgrowth of the whole title nine thing and trying to come up with as many scholarships for women's sports as you do like you know usc has a women's rowing team no men's rowing team although for some you know because they don't have a place on campus to have the, the field usc doesn't have a women's softball team which i think they they could be dominant in fairly quickly because the women aren't looking to turn pro and would be more looking for, you know, good education. And if USC ever decided to start women's softball, uh, all those kids that go all over the country from Southern California, uh, I think would be very favorably impressed with coming to USC. They could, you know, have a really, really good softball program. You wish, wish they would figure out a way to, uh, to get a field and get a softball program going. I think for that something, Dan, there's like the, because the baseball field is so nice, like the softball field would have to be comparable or something like that, but there's just no room for something along those lines at USC. Yeah, you wish they could figure out a way now that they've got the, uh, you know, the uh, the sports arena. Is there a way, you know, and, and would they get sued because, oh, it's, you know, 400 yards to the baseball, or uh, it's 100 yards to the baseball field and it's 400 yards to the football or the, the softball field? I don't know. You know, I mean, there isn't there isn't going to be any more room, right? You know, USC probably has is 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 close net a campus for the athletic facilities, probably the best in the country. I don't think there's anybody else in the country that has everything you know that close to everything. And uh, there just isn't a place to to put a softball field uh, right there. So you know, is that another uh, issue? Uh, would it be would it be wrong to have it? I mean, slightly off camera. You can't fit it in the way they did with the uh, beach volleyball uh, creatively right there. All you know, all figure out. 
uh, where they had the old, you know, basketball courts. Um, there just isn't that kind of a location on campus, so I don't know. I still, you know, I don't think it's that bad if you put it over somewhere uh, by the Coliseum, somewhere by the, you know, sports arena, if they could do that. You'd, you'd sure like to see them try. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff, and uh, thanks for coming on a Tuesday since I was uh, out of town uh, for the long weekend, or for I made it a long weekend. This weekend's coming up to a long weekend. Um, I guess the next show will be Memorial Day, so I don't know. Maybe we'll do that one on Tuesday too, but I haven't really thought about that. But um, thanks again, Dan, for everything and uh, coming on the show. Thank you, Ryan. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Again, apologize that we did this on a Tuesday, but I was driving back from Arizona from my trip, so we'll be back. I'll be back around, not going anywhere for a while, so we'll do the, the shows on a regular basis. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 